Hey everybody, and welcome back to Sports Island, your getaway destination for sports news. I am your host, Rick Mitchell. Well, this past week certainly wasn't the most eventful week in sports, but we still had plenty of news coming from all of the major pro sports. So we'll go ahead and dive in and take a look at what happened. And we'll start off like we usually do in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's Memorial Tournament was held at Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio. It was the second consecutive weekend at this course, and it was the first time since 1976 that the PGA has spent two consecutive weeks at the same course. And last week I said I was curious to see how the PGA would change the course setup to make it different from last week's Workday Charity Open. Well, the PGA certainly did not disappoint. The course played much harder this past week, even though it still played at a par 72 like the week before. And the weather was also a big factor this weekend. There was some rain, but most notably, the wind. The wind played a big role in a lot of the high scores that we saw. And the PGA also uh, changed the pin locations and... The main difference was the greens. Uh, the greens were super fast. I mean, the PGA rolled the hell out of the greens. It was like putting on pavement. And my main takeaway from this past week was that the best golfers in the world actually looked human. I mean, some of the top golfers in the world missed the cut. And the others who made the cut were way over par. And there were only nine golfers that finished under par this past weekend. So it was nice to see the golfers actually face a challenge because the other tournaments thus far have just seemed super easy for them. And it's not good for the game of golf when a majority of the top-ranked players in the world struggle. But it was a nice reminder that they are human and they are capable of making bad shots too. And the cut line this week came in at three over par, which is by far the highest we've had since the PGA restart. In fact, it was the first cut line over par since the restart. The the previous five cut lines since the restart were two under, five under, four under, four under, and two under. So this weekend was definitely an outlier. And there were some big names that struggled, like I said, including two of my three picks to click. And this was by far the least dramatic event on the PGA since the restart. Uh, John Rahm had a four-shot lead going into Sunday's final round, and at one point, his lead got up to eight shots, which is unheard of for a big tournament like the Memorial. It did get a tad interesting when... Rom went bogey, double bogey to start the back nine. And he got really frustrated. He slammed his driver. Uh, And for those that watch golf avidly, you know John Rom's a head case. Uh, And he went on to bogey 14 as well. Um, And then you get to hole 16, he had a beautiful chip-in birdie flop shot that just was... Amazing, But when they looked at the 
the instant replay and the camera and they zoomed in on the ball, the ball moved just a hair when he was getting set up to take a shot, um, doing some semi-practice swing type stuff. And he was actually given a two-stroke penalty for that, which turned his birdie into a bogey. But he was still clear of Ryan Palmer by several shots. And John Rahm ended up winning the final score of nine under par, which was a three-shot victory over Palmer. And John Rahm's win moved him up to number one in the official World Golf Rankings, making him only the second Spaniard ever to accomplish that. Now, I don't want to do this, but we need to revisit Rick's picks to click from this past weekend. And let's just say... It was not a good week for the old picks to click. My picks this past weekend were Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, and Webb Simpson. And I only clicked on one. And I don't even know if you can say it was a click. But DeChambeau and Simpson missed the cut. And Webb Simpson was all over the place. He went six over through two rounds and just didn't look good at all. Bryson DeChambeau was actually well on his way to making the cut on Friday, but then he ran into the par 5 15th. And his tee shot went out of bounds to the left. So he lines up his second shot. Horrible lie. He's under some trees. Hits his second shot, and it goes out of bounds on the right-hand side. Hits it from the same spot goes out of bounds again in the exact same spot it went before. So he takes his third shot from the same location under the tree, and it also goes out of bounds in the exact same spot as the other two. So instead of just taking his medicine and chipping it onto the fairway, he tried to literally beast it up to the green, and he put his shot in the same spot all three times. And he ended up making a quintuple bogey, which is a 10 on a par 5. And that was just unbelievable. And it was hard to watch, especially with how much I've been talking about how consistent he's been and how he hasn't showed any signs of slowing down. Now, DeChambeau did birdie 18, but the damage was already done at that point. He finished at five over through two rounds, missed the cut. Now, my final pick that did click, if you will, was Justin Thomas. He was at even par uh, entering Sunday's final round, and then he went two over on Sunday to finish at two over, which, believe it or not, was actually good enough for 18th. And like I said, just not a good week on the pick front. But this weekend, the PGA heads over to TPC Twin Cities in Blaine, Minnesota for the 3M Open. And TPC Twin Cities is going to play at a par 71, and it's really going to feature a subpar field. Only two out of the top 10 golfers in the world are going to be playing. Only six out of the top 50 are going to be there. So it's definitely not a great field, but I'll argue that the lack of star power is actually going to make it a pretty competitive tournament, at least more competitive than this past weekend was. 
But let's check out Rick's picks to click for this weekend's 3M Open. I'm going off the grid for a couple of these with a pair of South Africans, hoping that the lackluster field is going to give them a chance. But I'll start off with Tommy Fleetwood. Fleetwood's currently ranked number 12 in the world, and he hasn't played since the PGA Tour restart. He's the third highest ranked golfer in the field this week. And i just like for him to come out sharp since he's going to be well-rested. My second pick to click this week is going to be Eric Van Royen. And Van Royen is actually number 43 in the world. And he's just a guy who always seems to be near the top of the leaderboard in the first two rounds. But he just has trouble finishing the last two. And Van Royen played his college golf at the University of Minnesota, which is right down the street from TPC Twin Cities. So he's very familiar with TPC Twin Cities, and I'd look for him to have a solid four rounds of golf and finish towards the top. My final pick to click this week is going to be Dylan Fratelli. And Fratelli is ranked number 104 in the world. And he's a former Texas Longhorn. Hook him horns. He's probably my favorite golfer that most people probably don't know. And he's coming off a 22nd place finish at the Memorial this past weekend. And that's with a round of four over par on Sunday. So Fratelli's definitely a hit or miss player. But with the lack of elite talent in the field this week, he's somebody I can see posting some low rounds and keeping his name near the top. But we'll move on to the National Football League. Uh, This past Wednesday, July 15th, was the deadline for the franchise tag players to sign long-term contracts with their teams. And we only saw a couple of players actually sign their long-term deals. The first big name to sign was Kansas City Chiefs defensive tackle Chris Jones. Jones signed a four-year, $85 million contract with $60 million guaranteed. And this contract came on the heels of the Patrick Mahomes signing from a couple weeks ago. And I just don't understand where Kansas City's coming up with all this money. It must be nice to be Super Bowl champs, I guess. Now, granted, Mahomes' contract is still a rookie contract for the next two seasons. So Kansas City has two years before his contract starts getting outrageous. But Jones' contract is going to carry an average annual value of just over $21 million. So that that ain't cheap. Kansas City's going to be running out of money soon. But hey, at least they have Mahomes, right? Now the next big name to sign was Tennessee Titans running back Derrick Henry. And this deal came down to the wire at the 4 p.m. deadline, but they did get it done. And the contract is for four years and $50 million, which has $25.5 million guaranteed. And it carries an average annual value of just over $12 million, which makes Derrick Henry the fifth highest paid running back in the league. That's almost a crime. Tennessee totally won that deal. Derrick Henry is their entire offense. So I understand why Derrick Henry is making less than Zeke Elliott and Christian McCaffrey. But somebody please explain to me how in the hell... Derrick Henry is making less than Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson. 
I mean, Bell and Johnson are just committing theft. And they know it. But there were 12 franchise tag players who did not reach a long-term agreement with their teams. And they are all slated to play a full season under the tag, which is the highest number of tagged players in a season since the franchise tag was implemented in 1993. And the following players will be playing under the franchise tag in 2020. Dallas Cowboys quarterback Dak Prescott. Tag is $31.4 million. Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver A.J. Green, $18.2 million. Denver Broncos safety Justin Simmons. Tag is $11.4 million. Jacksonville Jaguars defensive end Yannick Ngakwe, $17.8 million. New England Patriots guard Joe Thune, $14.8 million. Washington offensive guard Brandon Scherf, $15 million. Los Angeles Chargers tight end Hunter Henry, $10.6 million. Pittsburgh Steelers linebacker Bud Dupree, $15.8 million. New York Giants defensive end Leonard Williams, $16.1 million. Minnesota Vikings safety Anthony Harris, $11.4 million. Baltimore Ravens linebacker Matthew Judon, $16.8 million. Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker Shaquille Barrett, $15.8 million. And there's some heavy hitters on that list. And out of all those, I can't believe that Dak Prescott did not reach a long-term deal with the Cowboys. And I predicted a few episodes ago that his contract, if he signed one, was going to be four years and $140 million. But they didn't even reach an agreement. And truthfully, I'm more impressed at the fact that Jerry Jones didn't fold like a cheap tent like he normally does. He was out-leveraged on the Ezekiel Elliott contract. He was out-leveraged on the Amari Cooper contract. And now he was out-leveraged by Dak Prescott on this. But he just didn't give in to Dak's demands like he did the other two. And I'm not faulting Dak for trying to get paid because he has cemented himself as a top 10 NFL quarterback. Like it or not, that just is what it is. And all reports indicate that the Cowboys offered Dak a, a fair deal that would have made him $35 million per year, which puts his contract on par with Russell Wilson's if he were to accept it. But Dak said, no thanks, I'm going to bet on myself again. And man, I hope he's right. I hope this means a Cowboys Super Bowl because that's about the only way that Dak Prescott's going to have enough leverage to ask for more money than he already has. And if Dak and the Cowboys can't reach a long-term deal after this season, he can get franchise tagged again next year for $38 million. And being the Cowboys fan that I am, I haven't even envisioned a scenario in which Prescott isn't the Cowboys quarterback for at least the next 10 years. But I guess that really needs to start being a conversation because here we are. And if Jerry Jones doesn't think anyone else is going to pay Dak what he's wanting, he's lost his mind. Prescott would be signed the day that he hit free agency. And like I said, I just cannot picture the Cowboys without Prescott as their starting quarterback. But uh, we'll head around the island and cover some quick hit topics from all the various sports. And we'll start off with Major League Baseball. And baseball is officially back. 
the teams had been in training camps at their home facilities doing their intra-squad scrimmages and whatnot, trying to prepare for the season. But over this past weekend, Major League Baseball began their summer camp spring training games. And this Thursday, July 23rd, the regular season officially starts. There's going to be two games on Thursday to open the season. And those games are going to be uh, the New York Yankees at the Washington Nationals and the San Francisco Giants at the Los Angeles Dodgers. And the other 28 teams are going to start their seasons on Friday. And with the very low positive coronavirus test percentages the MLB has reported so far, it definitely appears that baseball is well on its way to uh, getting a full season in. And speaking of the coronavirus, 10 Major League Baseball umpires have announced that they are opting out of the 2020 season. Uh, each umpire has their own reason for skipping, and there are several umpires that are up there in age, so maybe that's playing into the, the decision. But don't you worry, those umpires are still getting paid, at least a little bit, because a deal between Major League Baseball and its umpires that was reached during the virus shutdown ensured that even if one regular season game had not been played, the umpires were still guaranteed 37.5% of their salary. And umpires get paid their salary over the course of 12 months. So they've already been getting paid all year up to this point. And the average Major League Baseball umpire makes around $235,000. So even the 10 that are skipping out on this season are still making a decent amount of money to sit at home. Man, it must be nice to have a job where you can, you know, choose not to come to work and still make really good money. But the next... Major League Baseball topic could also fall under the NFL category as well. It's a a joint topic, and it deals with the city of Philadelphia. This past week, the city of Philadelphia announced that no fans are going to be in the stands for any of the Phillies or Eagles home games in 2020. Philadelphia is following what the city of Buffalo already announced for the Bills' 2020 home games. Now, I get the coronavirus concerns, but baseball and football are both outdoor sports. you got some stadiums that are indoors, but both of those stadiums are big enough that fans should be allowed to attend at least in a limited capacity. And if you block off the seats closest to the field in each of those stadiums, the fans don't even get close to the players at all. So I really don't agree with keeping the fans out of the stadiums completely. But the main topic out of Major League Baseball this past week was the announcement that the Canadian government denied the Toronto Blue Jays' request to play in their home ballpark, the Rogers Center. And the Blue Jays were initially given an exemption for summer workouts in Toronto as long as they agreed to have players remain in a modified quarantine at the Rogers Center and an adjoining hotel, which is exactly what they've been doing. But the Canadian government statement that was released, they said that, quote, the cross-border travel required for Major League Baseball regular season play would not adequately protect Canadians' health and safety, end quote. The Blue Jays would be required to play in locations where the risk of COVID transmissions remains high, 
And the Canadian government went on to say that Canada has been able to flatten their curve and that they're going to continue to make decisions in order to protect the health and safety of all Canadians. So, now the Blue Jays are considering playing their home games at either the ballpark of their AAA affiliate in Buffalo, New York, or their normal spring training base in Dundane, Florida. And there's also been talk of an unannounced third location, but they haven't released any details on that. And the Blue Jays are reportedly leaning more towards Buffalo due to the recent spike in Florida COVID cases. But with the season starting this week, that probably needs to get figured out ASAP. And nothing like waiting until the last minute to tell a team that they can't play their home games in their own ballpark. That's just wild. Again, I get the safety concerns, but as I mentioned a bit ago about the Philly and Buffalo situations, the fans just don't get close to the players. And if the same restrictions implemented in that exemption for the summer workouts were applied to the regular season, I don't see why it would matter. The government already required the Blue Jays players to be in a modified quarantine for those summer workouts, so what difference does it make? The quarantine would apply to the Blue Jays players and the players of the visiting teams that would be coming to Toronto to play. And Canada, and Toronto specifically, is already hosting the NHL teams in the Eastern Conference for their playoffs. So why not let the Blue Jays play their home games at the Rogers Center? Let me get this straight. It's okay for Toronto to host 12 NHL teams, 10 of which are from the United States. But it's not okay for the Blue Jays to play home games in Toronto? That just doesn't make any sense. The NHL teams that travel to Toronto are going to quarantine upon arrival. But that's exactly what the visiting Major League Baseball teams could be doing when they arrive as well. I'm just not following the Canadian government's logic on that. But we'll circle back real quick to the PGA Tour for a second. The PGA announced this past week that for the six weeks since the restart, they've only recorded nine positive coronavirus tests, and that includes both players and caddies. I don't have the official number of tests conducted thus far, but each player and caddy is getting tested multiple times weekly, so that number's got to be high. And either way, nine positive tests is still very low positive percentage rate. And last week I talked about PGA's updated protocol that allows golfers to still play after 10 days of quarantine, even if they continue to test positive. And the PGA handled that very well, because in this past weekend's Memorial Tournament, the PGA gave Dylan Fratelli and Harris English their own tee times, meaning that they were not paired in a group like everyone else. That was just out of an abundance of caution, And golf is really the only sport where you can make that work. So it's nice to see the PGA keeping it safe for everybody out there. And if you recall, Fratelli and English had both tested positive for the coronavirus a couple weeks ago before the Rocket Mortgage Classic. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association. And all NBA teams have been in Orlando for the past week starting their practices. And scrimmage games begin this Wednesday, July 22nd, and will run until July 28th. And the official season restart begins on Thursday, July 30th. 
and all reports have indicated that the NBA's bubble has been highly successful so far. Players have documented their experiences with how everything's been going, and man, kudos to the NBA for getting off to a great start on that. There was a lot of skepticism about that bubble, but it seems as though they're really going above and beyond on that. And with regards to the bubble, the NBA players are not allowed to leave the bubble. And if they do, they're required to quarantine for 10 days upon their arrival back into the bubble. So we're not even a week in, and there were two players that accidentally left the bubble. Sacramento Kings player Rashawn Holmes crossed the campus line to pick up a food order. And Houston Rockets player Bruno Caboclo broke the rules when he inadvertently left his room during the initial quarantine period after arriving. Now, each player was required to quarantine in their room for 48 hours upon their arrival to Orlando. Well, apparently Caboclo decided to leave his room. And I get maybe accidentally leaving your room for something, but picking up a food order? I mean, these guys are getting fed like kings inside the bubble. So that just, that that one doesn't make any sense. Now, there were also two very high-profile players who left the NBA's bubble to deal with family matters. And that was New Orleans Pelicans star Zion Williamson and Los Angeles Clippers forward Montrez Harrell, and they both left under an emergent basis to deal with family issues. So no issues with that. Family comes first, and hopefully everything's all right with them and their families, but they're going to both be required to quarantine for 10 days if or when they make it back to the bubble. But next up's the National Hockey League. Not a whole lot of action this week in the NHL. Uh, The NHL started Phase 3 of their return-to-play plan, which was the start of training camps at their home facilities. And in the first five days of Phase 3, the NHL ran 800 coronavirus tests, and only two came back positive. And as I've mentioned before, I'm not great at math, but two out of 800 is a really low positive percentage rate. That's definitely the lowest amongst all major pro sports. So that's great news. NHL definitely seems poised to finish their playoffs. Now, the other piece of NHL news deals with a broadcasting issue. There are reports that the NHL plans to put the world feed broadcasts from the hub cities on a five-second delay for TV purposes. Now, the purpose of that is to monitor the player's language. And with no fans in the stands, probably isn't the worst idea. You'll be able to hear hear everything without the fans in the stands. And I'm a hockey player, so I know what gets said on the benches and on the ice. And it ain't pretty. So the delay is going to help the broadcast team to be able to edit accordingly. But we'll, we'll head over to the National Football League, and the National Football League Players Association announced that as of July 10th, a total of 72 players have tested positive for the coronavirus. And again, I don't have the exact number of tests ran on that, but I'd be willing to bet that that positive rate is low as well. 
just like the other pro sports so far, baseball and hockey. And that's a good sign for football because they're going to be starting their training camps up in a couple weeks and their season on September 10th. And speaking of NFL training camps, there were a lot of high-profile NFL players that took to Twitter in the last couple days to voice their displeasure with the NFL's concerns or lack thereof of these safety protocols surrounding training camps. Um, The NFL had sent a mass email out detailing the start dates of the training camp and the protocols to be followed. And the NFL had suggested a 48-day training camp with a 21-day strength and conditioning period. And many NFL players did not agree with them. The email left a lot of players calling for a revamp of the health and safety protocols and asking that those protocols follow the advice of the league's medical experts. Now, I think we all want football back really bad. And if the NFL does it right, the NFL season could revive this country, especially now that the other major pro sports are starting back up. But these NFL players, they're acting as if there aren't any protocols in place at all. Like, they know what needs to be done in order to safely complete training camps and the season. And instead of complaining about those protocols, why don't they just get out there on the field in a couple weeks and follow them? There's inherent risk in anything you do. So just minimize the risk by being as safe as possible. And the only way for players to truly be ready for the season is for them to complete their training camps. And they know that. So I don't know why it's such a big issue for them. If you're too scared, don't play. And speaking of minimizing risks, Oakley is helping to do just that. This past week, Oakley unveiled a mouth shield to help combat the coronavirus. Um, Oakley Prism lens technology used by the players when they wear those clear plastic visors over the eye slots of their helmet is being used in another way. Uh, The new Oakley mouth shields are very similar. Um, They just extend down, cover the mouth portion of the face mask. They have some airway openings, and they do not allow the transmission of droplets. And there's currently no mandate to wear them. But those NFL medical experts, they're advocating that players do use them. So for all these players bitching about the lack of protocols... They ought to go ahead and slap one of those bad boys on their helmet since it's recommended by those same medical experts that they want the NFL to follow. And the design looks cool. I'm curious to see how many players actually wear one considering a majority of them already wear those plastic eye eye visors anyways. So this is just another safety feature. But another big piece of NFL news is the fact that the National Football League The National Football League Players Association are close to an agreement that would make it to where there's only one preseason game being played this year. Now, the NFL had previously stated that there would only be two preseason games instead of four. But the NFL Players Association has stood firm this whole time about not wanting any preseason games at all. So the NFL met them in the middle and proposed one game. Now, if this is approved, 
that one preseason game is going to take place the week of August 27th, which would have been the third week of the preseason in a normal year. And the league's move from insisting on two preseason games, I guess could be viewed as a desire to acquiesce the NFL players' concerns about their safety protocols. But another topic in the NFL is the Washington used-to-be Redskins. Uh, Everybody's calling them the Washington football team because they have not announced their new team name. And I was pretty certain on last week's episode that we were going to see a new name announced this week, but that didn't happen. And uh, I guess they're trying to find a name that, I guess, isn't already trademarked or isn't offensive. So I'm curious to see how this unfolds and what their their new team name is going to be. But the final piece of NFL news deals with another contract extension. And this past week, the Cleveland Browns announced that they've signed defensive end Miles Garrett to a five-year contract extension worth $125 million. And this extension makes Miles Garrett the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL with an average annual value of $25 million. And Garrett is an absolute monster, and he is by all definitions, a cornerstone piece to the Browns' future. But Miles Garrett's probably most known for his incident last year during the brawl between the Steelers and the Browns. That is when he, of course, ripped off the helmet of then-Steelers quarterback Mason Rudolph. He extended his arm out and swung Mason Rudolph's helmet at Mason Rudolph, hitting Rudolph in the head with his own helmet. Now, I would make a joke about Miles Garrett's extension already being good enough, but I'll hold off. But that's going to wrap up the fifth episode of Sports Island. I hope you all enjoyed it, and if you did, please tell anyone you may know that may be interested about it. Please share it with anyone you know. Uh, As always, rate, review, and subscribe on anywhere you get your podcasts. This podcast is available on all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. You can also find the podcast on Facebook, at Sports Island Podcast. And please also, if there is anything specific that you'd like for me to talk about on the podcast or break down even further, please drop me a comment on the Sports Island Facebook page. And I'd be glad to dive into that a little deeper. But I hope you all have a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.